appreciated your prayer this morning. Wilshire really has been beset by a lot of death. Jeremy's away uh, right now because, you know, his family, uh, his uh, Delena's parents have lost a very dear friend, someone that almost functioned like an uncle for Delena. So he's away helping with that. You know, it's weeks like this or periods like this that make me grateful for what we're going to study this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our resurrection as a result of it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open uh, back up to those passages that we had read this morning. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pick up the story in verse 12. And we're going to look at what the scripture says about what the resurrection of Jesus means for you and me. This was a central image in Paul's mind, this resurrection of Jesus. Paul knew the stories in the Old Testament of people who had been resuscitated. And and the Christians knew the story of Lazarus being called out by Jesus from the tomb. Those were indeed resuscitations. Those people would die again. What happened to Jesus was different. In fact, one of the common phrases of the New Testament is to say Jesus is something unique and a first fruits because what happens to Jesus, God now intends to do for his people that are in Jesus. Resurrection is different, fundamentally different, than mere resuscitation. And Paul begins to play with that theme here in the book of Colossians to help us understand what that means. And he ties it all back to the concept of baptism. What happened to you, Christian, when you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? What changed? He re- it's very interesting. He puts the focus on what God did for you. I have to admit, when I was growing up, I often thought in terms of what I'm doing for God by giving myself over in baptism. And I'm doing something that perhaps is even praiseworthy by allowing myself to be baptized. Paul doesn't talk about it that way at all. When Paul talks about baptism, he talks about what God does for us and in us. Whether we're aware it's happening or not, these things change fundamentally about us. And that's what this whole section kind of helps us to understand. It's beautiful. Look at verse 12 with me, and let's read about three verses here. Having been buried with him, Christ, in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross." You were raised, when you were brought up out of that water, and we talked about this last week, the reason why we 
bury you in water and raise you up. Is that's, that's what's happening to you spiritually. The old you is dying. The hold of the old world is being broken. Every charge against you is being taken and nailed onto the cross where Jesus is dying. When he dies, those claims on you die because you are buried and you are raised a new person. You are resurrected to live a new kind of life. Today is Easter. All around the world, people are celebrating the, the holiday of Easter. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm grateful that people are thinking about this. But I think what's more important is that we realize every day, if you've been baptized, every day is a day of your resurrection. When you came up out of the waters of baptism, you are now a different kind of being. And yes, things are going to change again when Jesus comes back. If you're dead, your grave will open and you'll be raised up. If you're alive, you will be changed, Paul says, in a twinkling of an eye, in an instant, in a blink. So things will change again when that happens, but already the change is taking hold of you. And he lays out some things that that means in the rest of this passage. It's, he says, because something objective happened to you, whether you know this is all going on or not, this is, this is independent of how much you understood, really, this is what's changed for you. And he begins to lay out some principles that follow along in our baptism. He says, in our baptism, we are raised with Christ. And because of that, certain things follow. Look down in verse 15. Let's read a bit. When Jesus dies on the cross, something happens to the powers of this fallen world. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are, were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental forces of the world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle this. Do not taste that. Do not touch the other thing. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their, humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That was a mouthful. That was a lot that Paul packs in there that's typical of him. He's just saying, you realize what changed with you when you were baptized? 
Because of what changed when Jesus died on the cross and rose up from it. And all the spiritual forces and powers and authorities, temporal authorities, the Jewish leaders, the Roman leaders, and the darker forces of the spiritual world conspired together to put Jesus on the cross. And they said, that finishes that. And imagine the humiliation, the, the, the defeat that it represents when Jesus cannot be held by the death they conspired to create for him. This is, the, this is our biggest weapon. This is what we use to force our people to get into line behind us, the fear of death, the fear of suffering. We did the worst thing we could think of to do to Jesus Christ. And he just got up and shook it off. Do you understand what it means when it says subjecting them to humiliation? Triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is the victor. But that means you're the victor too. When you were baptized, you were baptized in the name of Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. When you were raised up, you were raised up belonging to Jesus Christ. Paul says, think about that. What does that mean for all these powers and authorities that still exist in the world? Temporal powers, spiritual powers, any power you want to name, Paul says, bring it on. What does that mean for your relationship to them? Those relationships are nothing that can possibly separate you from what's happened to you in Jesus Christ. Don't let them tell you they can. Don't let them disqualify you is the language my translation used. Don't let them tell you, oh, you're not good enough yet because our rules, our regulations our way of looking at things, say that you aren't good enough. Don't let them tell you that. That's not true. If you were baptized, you are worthy. And you are reconciled to God. That's what happened to you by the baptism you experienced in Jesus Christ. In baptism, we are lifted beyond the reach of all false gods and fake judgments. In the ancient world, that would have taken a number of forms. And it looks like Paul's talking about both people who might judge you by Jewish things, like Sabbaths and new moons and so forth, and by pagan things, like, you know, special knowledge that I've seen. You can imagine people bragging about, well, I'm a fifth-level servant of Mithra, or I've been initiated into third level of the Eleusian mysteries. You just have no idea the things that I was shown as I was brought into the mysteries uh, at the Eleusian temple or the Delphi oracle. People brag about the things they've seen. They brag about the messages that they've received. None of that should intimidate you, Christian, if you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody disqualify you, he says. These Colossians, that was a small church. They didn't know much. 
They might have been easy to buffalo on some of these issues. And Paul's writing to them to say, don't let anybody think that you need to add to Jesus Christ some of these other rituals, pagan or Jewish, to make things more spiritual for you. If you have been baptized in Jesus Christ, you have the salvation that God offers the world. That's who you are now. It's a beautiful, beautiful claim. So don't let them judge you. Let's bring that forward to the 21st century church. You ever get judged? You ever get people setting up idols in front of you saying, I think if you know what's good for you, you'll bow down a little bit to this idol. This is what we think is important now, and I'm not seeing you falling in line fast enough. That ever happened to you? Happens to me. Our world continues to build false gods. Our world continues to come out to Christians and say, if you want to really be a good person, if you want to be a really worthwhile person, a person we'll respect and we'll honor, then you need to bow down to our gods. You need to submit to our judgment. And I'm telling you, Colossians has some good news for you, Christian. They can't disqualify you any more than those gods of the first century could disqualify the Colossian Christians. They can't come to you and say, you know, if you're not involved in this cause or you're not active in this way, then somehow you are less than. Everything now is judged by the standard of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing you need to worry about. What does Jesus think of what I'm doing? What does Jesus think of how I'm living? People will say, well, yeah, but if you're not rich, you're not worth much. What does Jesus think about that? Jesus who didn't have two coins to rub together most of the time. Well, if you don't have a great house, you're not worth me paying attention to. What does Jesus think about that? Who didn't even have a place to lay his head most of the time. Well, if you're not someone that other people recognize and honor and give respect to and deference to, when you come into a room, you need to be the kind of person that other people get out of the way of. What does Jesus think about that? Jesus who was beaten, spat upon, and finally displayed naked and dying before the world on the cross. That's all you need to worry about. If you've been baptized in Jesus, you have salvation in God if you stick close to Jesus Christ. And you judge everything now by Jesus, and no other judgment can disqualify you. Church, I'm trying to give us some good news for our hearts because I'm telling you, this has happened to me, so I know it's happened to you. I let my joy be sucked out of my body by the judgments of this world over and over again. Here's this person over here, and they've got more money than I. Here's this person over here, and they've got a cooler-looking car, which has always been true in my case. They got better hair. I've let my joy be destroyed by somebody having better hair. Josiah, you have better hair than me, and it hurts my heart. 
You know? What are we thinking? Judge everything by Jesus Christ. That's the only judgment that matters. And all of these other judgments that the world wants to put on us. Because the world has its values. It's false gods that it sets up. It says, this is what makes you a valuable person. This isn't what makes you a person I'm, I'm, I'm interested in talking to. If you look this way, you dress this way, you talk this way, you own this stuff, then you're worth talking to. I understand the world's going to do that. Don't let any of that disqualify you. Don't let any of that drive a wedge between you and what Jesus Christ wants out of your life. Don't let it happen. None of that's real. It's all fake. It's all false. And the true thing is, you are baptized in Jesus Christ. You were buried, and a new person rose up out of that water. That's the truth. That's what happened. Paul says, let's think about that one more step, starting in chapter 3. These chapter divisions are artificial, so the thought continues here. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, starting in chapter 3. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. That's pretty cool. How much glory will Jesus have when he returns? How much glory? Well, I don't expect you to answer me. We don't, we don't do that that often here at Wilshire. I get it. Now think about the glory of Jesus finally being revealed. Every eye will see Jesus finally being revealed for who he has been the whole time. The one through whom the entire world was created and the one that God has entrusted the judgment of the world to. The one whose voice will call out and break open the graves and raise up the dead. The one who will separate the sheep from the goats. The one who comes surrounded by powerful angels and the trumpet call of God. How much glory is that? The people that you know in your life, how much will they want, want, want at that moment to be where you are in Christ? That's what Paul's saying. You realize that when Jesus comes in glory, the people that are baptized in Jesus Christ immediately take on that glory. That Jesus' triumph we are allowed to share in. It's because that's true, Paul says. Set, verse 1, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When you, you died when you were baptized, 
And your real life is now up there where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of God. In our baptism, we are anchored in heaven as we still live here on earth. That's the truth. Right now, if you're a baptized Christian, and I know, you're thinking to yourself right now, well, I'm not a very good Christian. I don't think Paul says, if you're a good Christian, this is true. He says, this is what happened to you. You died, God took your life and anchored it to Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. So when you think about things here on this earth, what viewpoint do you have? In this auditorium, we've got a lot of different viewpoints. People sitting over there see something different than people sitting over there. But if you are a baptized Christian, what viewpoint is the most important viewpoint? is what does this look like from Jesus' viewpoint, sitting at the right hand of God? How does my fretting and worrying about my next raise or my credit card debt, how does that look from Jesus' viewpoint, sitting at the right hand of heaven? How does that look? My envy or my worry about people who are maybe not always treating me the way that they should. How does that look from Jesus' viewpoint? If I see something that's not fair and I'm wondering to myself, should I speak up and possibly get myself in trouble or should I just keep quiet? How does that look? from the one who's sitting at the right hand of God's justice seat. How does that look? Because that's the viewpoint that matters now. Because that's your real life now. That's what's been done for you in baptism. Whether you think you're a good Christian or not a very good Christian, we all think we're not very good, let's be honest. That's what's been done for you. And more and more, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, you're being invited to live from that viewpoint. The viewpoint that looks at the rat race of competition over money on this planet and picks out the widow who gives $2 as more worthy than the millionaire who gives 200 Picks out the person that nobody notices giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Sees the one who steps up when someone's hungry. Quietly, without much fanfare, provides some food. Gives some clothing to those who are needing clothing. Goes and says a word of comfort to those who are sick, visits those who are oppressed in prison. Jesus sees all that. That's what stands out from his viewpoint. We almost think that doesn't count. If it doesn't get at least a million views on YouTube, how could it really be important? 
What's important is what Jesus cares about. You know? That's the viewpoint that you have access to now, more and more. And that's the power that you have, because you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, to live from that viewpoint more and more, day by day. Set your mind, Paul says. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for his willingness to sacrifice himself and your power to raise him from the dead into the new life. And God, thank you that in baptism, through his power, we are raised and that our lives are now different. And, and God, help us to live out the truth of that actual reality. We keep getting pulled back, Lord, you know, back into the old mindset. The old self keeps pulling at us, but God, help us to live in the new reality. Help us to live in the new truth. Day in and day out, by the power of your Spirit, help us to be what you have already made us to be. God, give us this strength. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you need to respond to God's gracious invitation, if you need prayers, if you need help, uh, or if there is now the decision in your heart that today is the day that you would like to put on Jesus Christ in this baptism that we've been talking about, then we invite you to come forward. Tell us what you need to do as we stand and are led in song.